We're a blessed people. I would ask you please to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Last book of the Bible. I figure if this is my last sermon, I'm going to go to the last book. You know, I had, I, you can talk to Mark in the office. I've been thinking about this for months. You know, I didn't think I'd be here for 21 months. About a year ago, I said, well, it's coming to an end. I'm going to come up with my last sermon. But uh, I, says, I said, I want to preach my last sermon, and what a day that will be. And I thought about preaching about the, la- the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, I've been thinking about this for some time. Uh, it is not the easiest subject to preach on because, you know, there are so many ideas about the, how Jesus is going to do it. And, you know, I mean, we all have our ways how Christ is going to do it. And so uh, how he's going to come back and what he's going to do and, and so on and so forth. But uh, what I, my, my, my intent this morning, I thought to myself, what would be the last thing if I were to preach the last sermon at a church what would I preach? And uh, it came to my mind, you got to tell them about Jesus and how they can get saved. You know, so that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the second coming of Jesus, but I want you to be, be ready for that. You know, if you miss it, you're in, uh, as, I, as I have said to my family, you're in deep kimchi. Uh, which means it's a, you're in a tough spot. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Uh, when Jesus comes back, you want to you be part of that army, don't you? So, if you would please, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. The coming of Jesus Christ. John writes, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and his righteousness he judges and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this word. Uh, Lord, it challenges us. Uh, Lord, we need to be ready. We need to be watching and waiting. We need to be people waiting and and keeping our eye on the fact that that Jesus is coming back. And uh, Lord, we we, uh, live in, and some of us live in affluence, some of us living in in not so affluent places and areas and and, uh, and seasons. But Lord, uh, we live in a world that, uh, at least in this nation, Father, we live more comfortably than many people in this whole world do. And uh, Lord, we think that uh, there is peace and there is calm. And uh, Lord, we don't realize that there is a tsunami of evil coming toward us. God, help us to be prepared. Help us to know, Lord, that Jesus is ready to come back. 
And we, the church, his bride, need to be prepared for that. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the great doctrines of the Christian faith is that which concerns the second coming of Jesus Christ. I can remember as a, uh, as a teenager, uh, back in 1960, uh, there were teenagers back then. We had electricity, we had cars, plumbing. But uh, I can remember my, my, my mom talking about, she said, 1960, that's when the end of the world's going to happen. And man, I just said, I said Lord, and this is a true stress, Lord, please not before I get my driver's license. <laughs> I said, after I get my driver's license then, but not, not before that. You know, we have, we have picked years, haven't we? 1960, 1988, uh, whatever, you know, and, and uh, we, we've all made, people have made guesses throughout all of history. Uh, man has attempted to tell of the exact time and or date of his second coming, but, but every, every date imaginable, it, it, that is given, it, is, it just flutters into the archives of fallen eschatology and is never to be heard of again. It just dissipates in the air because we keep on giving dates. Why, why, are, we expecting, why are we expecting ourselves to come up with a date when even Jesus himself says in Mark 13 and verse 32, he says, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So what is it about? We need, to, we need to know exactly when Jesus is coming back. What would that do? Do you suppose if we knew exactly when Jesus was coming back that more people would get saved? I don't think so. God has his elective purposes and his decrees in history. And those who are going to be saved, listen, when the, gospel, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached to those, where the Holy Spirit works in their heart, and he turns that heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and they, and they hear and understand and comprehend the gospel, and they repent of their sins, they realize that they have a need for Jesus Christ, those people will be saved. But I don't care what else happens in all this world. If, if the Spirit of God is not working in your heart, folks, to draw you to Jesus Christ, you will never be saved. How do we know when God is working in a person's heart? We know that God's working in a person's heart. When the Scripture is being taught, when the Scripture is given, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, when that is preached, when that is preached, then the Holy Spirit works in that person's life. Paul writes, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We need to preach the Scripture. The preacher should not preach his agenda. We should not be talking about political issues. We should not be talking about what's happening in the climate and this and that and the other. We should be preaching about Jesus Christ, not about stuff. You know, how to manage your life. You know, how to manage this, how to manage that. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Preach the word. John writes in verse 11 of our text, he says, And I saw heaven opened. What a sight that would be. Just think if God were to roll back the sky 
And you could see all the glory of heaven. He says, I saw heaven open. Friends, listen, that is where the throne of God is. It is where Christ is seated. He's the head of the church, the groom who is soon to come and take his bride, which is the church. That's where God is. John says, I saw heaven opened. Folks, if we saw heaven opened, even if we saw heaven opened, even if, listen, even if we saw Christ coming back on, on that white charger, I don't mean a Dodge charger either, but Christ coming back. Listen, even if we saw those people who have rejected Christ will continue to reject Christ because their heart is hostile toward God. We know so little concerning heaven. But we do know that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and Redeemer, has gone there and has prepared a place for his people. Do you, have you ever given consideration? You know, Vera, have you ever just driven around neighborhoods? And you see all these, some of these homes are beautiful. Some are not so pretty. But some of them are absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. And, you know, uh, I mean, my, my house wouldn't even make their garage. And you, look at the, and you look at those, and, and then you think that Jesus says in John 14 that he's gone to prepare a place for us. I could have just imagined Jesus as that great carpenter has gone there, and, and with his carpentry skills in his mind, and his ability to create all this universe, that he could create a home for you and I that is absolutely magnificent, beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. You know, as the song says, I can only imagine. I cannot even begin to imagine what a glorious dwelling place that you and I will have in glory. You know, be living right there on the ninth T. <laughs> but Jesus is in heaven. He sits in heaven as our advocate. In 1 John 2, on when, I, when I sin and I need someone to be my attorney, Jesus is there. Oh, he's better than Perry Mason. Jesus is there, and he, stands, and he stands by our side, and he is our advocate to the Father. And listen, even when Satan pronounces that, that we've sinned against God, and we've robbed God of his glory, Jesus, but the bill has been paid. The debt has been paid. My blood has been shed. It's paid for. I'm the advocate. We have more than just an advocate. We have a God in heaven, a Christ in heaven, who is our intercessor. When I'm weary in prayer, and I feel like my prayers are not ascended beyond the ceiling, it is Jesus who goes to God on my behalf as my intercessor, John 8, 34. He goes before God and he intercedes on my behalf, knowing that it's just not me, but Jesus himself is praying for me. And I look at him as my mediator in 1 Timothy 3, 5. I need someone, I need someone who stands between me and the Father, who, is, who's, who knows the Father intimately, because he and the Father are one, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus, and he's my mediator. But I need something else. I need someone. 
when my worship is lacking. I need someone when my spirituality is poor. I need someone when my, when my religious affections are weak. I need someone who's going to be my high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says, and Jesus is my high priest. Folks, what you have in glory, when heaven's doors have been opened, you have up in glory an advocate, an intercessor, a mediator. You have a high priest whose name is Jesus Christ. When John saw the doors of glory open, he saw Christ seated there. He says, that's my God. We know that one day, we and all believers shall be gathered into heaven's estate with Christ. And as we read in Revelation chapter 22, listen, Revelation chapter 22, listen to this, beginning at verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God of the Lamb. In the middle of his street, on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light or the, uh, the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign. Listen, folks, we will reign forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I happen to believe that. I believe that when heaven's, when heaven's opened. I think that John looked up there and he saw, he saw his Lord on the throne high and lifted up just like Isaiah did. High and lifted up the train of his robe filled the temple. Angels all about him. And he saw, he saw the tabernacle of God and God in the midst of all of his heavenly host. And there are those dwelling places of God. And, and John saw that and he says, Lord, come quickly and get me. I think all of us should be praying, Lord, come and get me. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come and get me. Yes, folks, there is coming a day when heaven's doors will open wide and we shall hear the voice of God saying to all who are in Christ, enter, enter into the joy of your master. We also find in verse 11 of our text, a Lord riding upon a white horse. This is, not, this is not what you find when you see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this triumphal entry into that city just the week of his crucifixion. There you see Jesus riding into Jerusalem as a shepherd king, humble, peaceful, the Messiah who would lay down his life for the sheep. But that's not how Jesus is coming back this time. He's not coming back on a donkey, not on a burrow. He's coming back on a white stallion. Here in our text, he comes back as a warrior riding upon that horse. And when Christ returns, it will not be in peace, but to wage war. He is coming back as a mighty conqueror who will once and for all destroy the wicked, to overthrow the Antichrist, to defeat the devil, and to gain control of this entire world. Listen to this. He'll not come alone. 
He will not come alone. But we read in Jude chapter, uh, uh, verses 14 through 16, Behold, listen, Jude writes, Behold, the Lord comes with many thousands of his holy ones, and to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are the grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Folks, what kind of world do we live in? we got a world filled with grumblers and complainers and moaners and groaners. we got people rocking the boat rather than rowing the boat. It's a wicked place we live in. That's why this wickedness grows. More and more every day, wickedness grows. Vile, more vile than ever. We all become a, just a, a, a people of vile human toads who've inhabited this earth. We become a boil on the back end of the universe. And we think that we're so important. And we live arrogantly as a people. Seven and a half to eight billion people. And most not knowing Christ. And wide, wide and broad is the door that opens itself into the very throne of perdition. And God says, I've got a throne for you, but narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. Not just the Baptist way, not just the Methodist way, not just the Episcopal way, not the Presbyterian way, but God's way. Narrow is the way. You've got to toil through it. It's just not an easy ride. And Satan has his way too, and it's broad. And he says, oh, this is the way to life. This is the way to ease. This is the way to pleasure. This is the way to, to self-worth and, and high self-esteem. There is no self-deprecation when you take the broad way. It's all flattery. An applause, an approbation of man, approval from others, where we can worship the creature more than we do the creator. Take this way. It's paved with all the things that you want. The scripture says he judges and he wages war. He judges and he wages war. It's a war against sin. As wickedness increases in this world, the very patience of God will find his cup of wrath. And as we read in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, it says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. King James says it will wax cold. We have isolated and insulated ourselves from other people. Isn't, don't you find it amazing? Just to prove a point about how we've insulated and isolated ourselves from people. Back when I was, I went to, back in 1949, <laughs> I was just a young boy. But I can remember my folks built a house back near Pittsburgh. And on the side of this house, Facing the street was this huge porch. 
Do some of you remember that, that houses used to have big porches on it? And they would be right up front. So that people would walk by or drive by and they would see. And we would sit out there and my, my mom would have, people would come by. And I can remember these people, men and women both stop by and they'd, come just, they'd just be walking by the street and they'd come in to visit. They don't do that anymore. But they come in to visit because they see that porch there and people on that porch and they just stop. And we, they would have, we'd have tea and coffee, whatever. But today, you know where, where we build our porches? In the back of the house. We want anonymity. We don't want people to know us. We don't want people to see us. We don't want to associate with them. It's amazing to me that we are, we are, more, we are more in tune with electronics and connecting with electronics than we are eye to eye, face to face. What happened? We've insulated and isolated ourselves from other people. That's why the church is so important. Folks, you come to church, you're sitting next to somebody that's a human being. That is created in the image of God. Not some AI out there. In the sky, AI in the sky. The weight of the world's sin will be so great that the church will not have the means to overpower it. But Christ, at the right time, rides triumphantly to her and assists his elect people in her perilous condition. Oh, friends, do we have the courage to stand up to the struggle that is soon to come to this world? There is going to be a struggle. Friends, what is it that we are to look for as that day approaches? What are we looking for as we see that things are getting more and more perilous? The times and the seasons that are before us are coming like a, a, a tsunami of evil. What are we to look for that we know that this day is coming? The Bible says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. In just my lifetime, I could think of about five wars that we have faced in this nation just in my lifetime. Five. This last one lasted 20 years. 20 years. Wars and rumors of war. Nation will go against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes, increase of false prophets, increase of lawlessness. Folks, it's like reading tomorrow's newspaper. And then it says, and people's love will grow cold. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14. But folks, this, this is the ultimate, the ultimate sign that you know that the end is near. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel, listen, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then listen to what he says, and then the end will come. Why is it important to follow through the great commission? Because if we're looking for and expecting the end to come, and Jesus returns, if we're expecting that, then we must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we have a depiction of Christ in our 
text today. But that depiction of Christ, you know, you have also a very similar one found in John's gospel in John chapter 1. And it is in this first few verses of John's gospel of that chapter that we find a, a similar description of Jesus just like we do here in Revelation 19. In John's gospel, we have Jesus as God, the, the King of glory in John 1.1. 1, 1. We have Jesus as life in John 1.4. Jesus as light in John 1.4. Jesus, who is the Word of God in John 1.1. 1, 1. John writes about that in his revelation. He says that he is the Word of God. Jesus being the Word of God is the greatest, highest, fullest revelation of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, listen to what the author of Hebrews writes. He says, God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Folks, are you aware of something? Do you realize that Jesus Christ created this world? He created this universe that when this universe was brought into existence, let me tell you something. This universe is not eternal. I don't care what science may say. Science is, if it says it's eternal, they're wrong. There's only one thing that's eternal, and that is God. Oh, I've even read where science says, one scientist, by the way, said that we came from outer space. From another planet. <laughs> Maybe some of us did. <laughs> E.T., I think the phone's for you. <laughs> Jesus is the creator. Jesus sustains. He, he is the glue that holds all things together. He is creator. He is sustainer. And you know what? Jesus is the redeemer. It is that Jesus who's coming back. So then, what we see here is Jesus is the most glorious light of God, the exact representation of God who is coming again to this earth. Jesus himself has said, he who has seen me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But we have in verse 12 also of our text, he has a name written on him that no one knows except himself. So who can fully know or comprehend the infinite, eternal God? Who can know Him? Were we to live even in a million eternities, one after the other, if that were even possible, we could never know the full measure and majesty of our Lord. Never. Philippians 2.9 says, God... God bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, do you all believe that? That Jesus Christ is actually God. He's not an emanation of God. He's not the second God. There's only one God. Jesus is God. And that God who created you, the God who created this universe, the God who gave us life, 
for his church. Listen, that same God is coming back. And his name is Jesus, the name above every name. That same Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. And he's bringing his army with him. And we ask, who is this army who shall be in in attendance with our Lord? It is the host of heaven. Folks, it's the host of heaven who shall be at his side. And who is involved in the host of heaven? It's the church, the Old Testament believers. And yes, the angels who have been with our Lord in glory. We shall all, listen, they shall all return. They shall all return. Have you lost a loved one who's in glory with Jesus? They're coming back. It'll not be this mighty army, however, who defeats the enemies of God, but Christ alone will do it. But those saints, those saints who will reign with him, listen, it is the saints who will reign with him. They'll not be involved in battle. We're just going to be spectators of, of what God is going to do through Jesus Christ. It is his saints, his saints who shall enter into his millennial reign. It is his saints who shall experience the resurrection of the believers at the coming and the coming of a new earth and a new heaven. And folks, listen, it is his saints who shall enter into eternal state with Christ our Lord. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, listen with John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss, that place, that abyss is where hell itself will be thrown to called the lake of fire. That abyss and lake of fire are synonymous. And a great chain was in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years are completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and they who sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus Christ, because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on the forehead and on their hand. And they came, and listen, they came to life, and they reigned, listen, they reigned, listen, they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, whether you take that literally as a thousand years or you take that as being forever, folks, you are going to reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. Whether it goes to a thousand years into the eternal state or whatever, folks, you're going to be with Him forever and ever and ever. We're going to have new bodies. This this old man's going to have a new body. It's going to have hair and it's going to have height. And I'll be able to eat chocolate. And regular coffee. (laughs) Yes, I will. My friends, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you come to the place where you now realize that you are? Do you realize, maybe, folks, you might be out here today without Jesus in your life. Do you realize that you're a sinner? Listen, today you can have that blessed assurance that salvation is is yours in Jesus Christ. It is Christ who bore your sin. It is Christ who died in your place. It is Christ who bore the Father's wrath. It is Christ who was buried. It is Christ who has been risen from the dead. And without Him, without Him, you are eternally lost. 
eternally separated from God and will be eternally a resident of hell's fire and torment where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. You should abandon all hope that there's another chance for you. Today, you have an opportunity to repent of your sin, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, to bow the knee before Him. Today, friend, right now, place your trust in Christ to save you. It is Christ and He alone who can lead you to heaven's higher ground. You remember John says, I looked, I looked, I saw heaven, heaven opened as a scroll, and I saw into heaven itself. Listen, God can lead you positionally, spiritually. God can lead you there right now in Christ. He can lead you to a higher ground. He can plant your feet on that higher ground. As the song says, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Folks, today, would you plant your feet on higher ground? Let God open up the very windows of heaven for you so that glory of God can fill your life, fill your soul. You can sense his presence in you. Would you this day do that?